Alrighty, before we get into this episode, I have a little bit of a disclaimer for you guys. This episode was actually recorded a while ago. It was last spring. And at the time, we were still getting the hang of using our phone interview software. And as a result, the quality of this episode isn't that great. Uh, Because the quality was poor at the time we completed recording, we kind of put this project on the back burner. And then when I was reviewing my files and saw that I had this conversation saved still and listened to it, it was just a really valuable conversation. And I believe that the content of the conversation kind of outweighs the sound quality that's so poor. So if you can get past some of the distracting audio issues, the actual content of this episode is really valuable. If you can't handle it, no issue. Enjoy some of our other episodes that have a little bit of a smoother listening capabilities. So yeah, enjoy. Taking care of injured and orphaned mammals isn't always rainbows and butterflies, but it's still what makes this episode's guest soul shine. This is Critter Chatter. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Critter Chatter. It's me, your host, Erica. Today, I am joined by a good friend of mine, Amber from Soulshine Wildlife Center. How are you doing today, Amber? I'm okay. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. So, Amber, how was your day today? Did anything exciting happen? Um, nothing. You know, fortunately, it was a day that I was able to get a lot of stuff done outside. I feel like the winter time and the animals that I have, it's more so, it's almost like a farm-like setting. I'm outside in Carhartts all day trying to take care of everyone who's overwintering and um, a lot of, several calls today. Unfortunately, I did have one raccoon that needed to be euthanized for distemper, but otherwise it was a little bit slower, a couple of phone calls, but um, everything that came through was, it, it was usually, it's usually just something that, I don't know, people call for strange reasons. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sometimes I have to think, I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, or I don't know if you have these calls too, but sometimes I think people are confused for what like what wildlife rehabilitation really is. And if one more person calls me about, you know, having to come get a carcass off their yard, I'm um, going to have mm. to do a little announcement. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> you, yeah, we get, we get calls like that at animal control all the time too. Like, oh yeah, I'm sure. Can you go come grab this dead deer off the road? So how do you handle those sort of cases? What do you, I mean, I'm able to just say like, listen, I don't have the resources for this. Yeah. We just basically say, you know, we have a, we have enough tasks that are in our scope of practice and that's not something that is technically a responsibility of ours. I mean, that would be a a road commission or, or township issue, not, something yes it's not pleasant to look at dead animals on the road and right. I'm sure that you're the, a weirdo like me and you move dead animals off the road from time to time <laughs> well, but sure. yeah because but I, I don't want to get a call on the next animal that's like sitting there having a snack and then that one gets hit too exactly <laughs> you know? yeah exactly and then being preventative <laughs> yes and then during baby season it's like almost like on your daily route it's easier to keep track of of what's new and do I need to check that possum's pouch for baby? Like that wasn't there yesterday. (laughs) 
yep, we're weird. <laughs> yeah, I am so the person on the side of the road that's investigating what looks like dead animals to everyone else. <laughs> yep, Don't but we're not. Me. <laughs> just keep driving. Just keep right, driving. I just I wave now and make it weird. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, and it's it's that's fine. But we're not gonna we don't have the the time or means to pick up animals and transport mm-hmm. them and cremate them. Like we got enough to worry about. Yeah. But <clears throat> so Amber, when before I ever met you and I first stumbled upon Soulshine's Facebook page, mm-hmm. um, I saw I got really excited because I saw that you were based in Michigan, of course. Even though you're you're on the west side and I'm on the east side. But um, the first thing I noticed, though, was that you had pictures on your page with skunks. And for (laughs) our our listeners that don't know, it is right now illegal for us to rehabilitate skunks. Um, And then, of course, I got to talking to you and discovered that they were domestic skunks. So can you tell us about those cute little fluffers? Absolutely. So (laughs) I've had a skunk. Oh, my gosh. I've had a pet skunk for probably 70% of my life. In fact, when I was a baby, I have baby photos of me with two dogs and a pet skunk. So they're, um, they're something that's been been in my life um, since the start. And in the state of Michigan, you are allowed to have what they call domestic skunks. They are bred in captivity. You're not allowed to import them from other states. So they have to come from a breeder within the state of Michigan. And Um, I, the skunks I have are actually surrendered pets now. Now I did have one from a breeder. Um, she passed away last year, but otherwise the ones I have are from their pet surrenders. People get skunks. They think they're cute. And then they realize that they're not a cat or a dog and they're a a different type of animal. And and that goes with really any exotic pet. You you never really know what you're going to get into, but unfortunately in the world we live in with social media, people see cute little videos, they try to recreate the same thing, and then they quickly realize that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So skunks can be incredibly destructive. And um, but I have a soft spot for them. <laughs> so so I have um, pet skunks that live in my house, they are separate, I have a separate license for them. They're not under my wildlife rehab permit, they're under what's called a captive game permit. I believe that's what it's still called. Anyway, I know they changed the name of it um, a couple years ago. And um, it's a separate licensing completely. And um, But because I'm passionate about skunks, I have been trying to amend the laws in Michigan. I started a petition in the state in July of 2018, which is actually the same month that I became licensed to rehab. So I'm sure the state was like, who is this person? (laughs) (laughs) Why is she coming at us right now? (laughs) So I had to kind of, I I had this this great... well, actually, do you, I mean, do you want to hear about the skunk law stuff, or are you more so curious, curious just about my pet ones? Because I can, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. So, could you tell us a little bit about why it is illegal for us to rehabilitate skunks in Michigan? So, I started a petition in Oct- or, I'm sorry, in July of 2018, as I previously had said, and the when I sent in all the documentation, I I alerted the state of Michigan, letting them know that the petition was active. And when I had finally messaged them, within a few days' time, we had over 5,000 signatures immediately. I was, I was blown away by that. And the response I had received from the state, along with a letter from the CDC, was regarding, the, in the state of Michigan, it's like, you know what, rabies exists in skunks here, and it's a, basically, it's, we're putting our rehabbers at risk by allowing them to work with skunks. However, when you dive into the research, which this is all public record, 
And on, this, on the DNR website, Michigan DNR, you're able to pull a chart and it's, it's 18 years of data. It's 2003 to present time. And in that 18 years, there have been 84 cases of skunks having rabies in the state of Michigan. Now, when you take 84, you divide that by 18 years, we're averaging about four skunks a year. And all of those cases have been within a one to three, four, maybe county population. So we're not, this isn't even a whole state issue. It's mostly, it's mostly pinned to the southeast side of the state. And so I was incredibly frustrated when I was like, we don't even have a lot of data on this. And I can't help but think it's a law simply because no one's challenged it before. You know, why the state's not going to go through and change the law if, like there's not there's not a point for them just to do that so it's going to take somebody going out you know going in and trying to initiate this change and I uh, was self-nominated for that <laughs> and um, and I've and I've, I've been I was active with it up until 2020 and 2020 with COVID hitting and so many state employees being unemployed it just didn't really seem like the point to really go in and try to change any laws when the rest of the the rest of the country is dealing with other things yeah so, uh, my thought was that this year I kind of I'd reissue that again, and after especially after having a little bit of time uh, and being able to to gather more research. So I, I actually pulled the charts today uh, that are available on the Michigan DNR website, and it, they they reference again the the data, the terrestrial data for for rabies in the state, and and there's only been the 84 cases since 2003. That's that's 18 years of data, and again averaging only four skunks a year. That's, I personally just don't feel like that's enough to say, nope, we have to, we can't rehab any of these animals. And I think it's because they're looking at it from, it's not ecologically, it's not an ecological necessity, you know, not rehabbing skunks isn't detrimental to the ecosystem by any means. But I think what we need to do moving forward is actually explaining that it's not that we're trying to take care of them because of conservation. It's, it's a public health risk because if rehabbers, if rehabilitators are the ones that are turning people down when they find baby skunks, baby skunks are adorable and <laughs> the public is not going to euthanize them. So therefore now we have the public who really doesn't know anything about skunk rehab. They're the ones trying to do this. And if anything, that's more of a, of a public health concern. Where, you know, rehabilitators, if you want to work with them, I personally feel like we should be, we should have our pre-exposure rabies vaccines, which, which I have. And having quality people who are handling those sort of cases is going to be much more efficient. Right. Um, and, and what I had said to them was just permitting, you know, qualified, licensed wildlife rehabilitators the right to rehab these skunks is not only going to reduce the amount of hazardous, illegal, novice rehabilitation attempts from the public, but it's also going to give the DNR accurate stats on the required animal intake reports regarding all these animals in need of care. Right now, they're not getting accurate figures because people are rehabbing them underground. You know, they're doing it on the down low and, and that's not, that's not benefiting anything. If you want to have stats, if you want to have accurate statistics, you have to have accurate data. And right now we don't have that. Not to knock the, the DNR at all. I get you know, why originally these laws were put in place. Um, mm -hmm. The number one rabies vector species in Michigan was bats and number two skunks. Yeah. And that's why those two we aren't supposed to deal with. But I agree with your thought process that if we're not doing it, somebody else is going to be doing it and better it be something that's heavily regulated 
and controlled than having every Joe Schmo dealing with a rabies vector species. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. <clears throat> I was just going to say, um, although it's not ecological necessity to rehabilitate every skunk, it at this point, it's starting to become that way for bats with mm-hmm. a lot of the diseases. A lot of bat species are being threatened. And I feel like having opening the door up for skunks is a step towards opening the door up for bats, the number one rabies vector Absolutely. species. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I did, when I first rolled this petition out, I did have a few people that kind of attacked me for not like being in support of bats too. And I just said, listen, we, this is something that it takes steps. We can't go after everything at the same time. It doesn't work that way. So if we can, if we can get the clearance for skunks and have that part amended, next step would be bats. And maybe it's just not a blanket statement. Maybe if you're a rehabilitator, maybe the state needs to look in, into more like specializing for this. You know, like my experience with skunks is probably a little bit more is, is greater than what some of the some other rehabbers are because they don't have domestic skunks. I've had them my entire life, so I at least understand more of their their behaviors and what to look for, what's not considered a natural thing. Um, and, and I guess my thought too is. You know, if we can have restrictions for deer rehab, if there's certain counties that we're not allowed to rehab deer in, and if there's rules on raccoon, regu- you know, raccoon rehab where they we can't commingle counties and we can't, you know, they have to be released back to the county in which they came from, I don't understand why we wouldn't be able to do the same thing for skunks. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, we, if we can do it for some species, we should be able to do it for all. And, yeah. and at that point, again, it's high, it's, it's regulated a little bit more strict it's you know stricter regulations and you, you require people to be have their pre-exposure rabies vaccines that's going to be the best course of action in in my opinion for sure and it's definitely frustrating too getting those calls about skunks and having to say you know sorry legally i can't do anything my hands are tied and have these people get upset with you like you don't care and you know screw the law well if i don't follow the law i might lose my ability to help animals at all so right I got to do what I can to follow all the rules. And then the sad part is, is I know that they just go on to the next person until they find somebody who maybe isn't equipped or knowledgeable and Mm -hmm. give that animal to them. Yeah. Or, or they end up just completely in the public's hands. I have heard of a few cases of people that just uh, over the summer, I ran into a case like that. It was a group of four baby skunks that were found in a, um, it was a campground and when I received the call, it was during baby season, and it took me about an hour and a half to get back to them. And by the time I called them back, all four baby skunks had been split up between different people at the campground. And I was able to track two of them down to find out you know, what happened to them. But the other two, the woman, I never got her contact information. No one would turn, in her, turn her in, and she was just adamant about keeping them as pets. Yeah. <laughs> I was like okay, this is obviously defeating the purpose. (laughs) Right. Now we've we've taken this animal from the wild and you are Mm -hmm. keeping it as a pet. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you get sprayed. (laughs) Yeah. You're probably going to get sprayed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's really unfortunate though. And kind of touching on what you just said, like during baby season, getting back to people, like sometimes it does take an hour, two hours, like when you're in between feedings or a crazy yeah. call and not knowing like what what's happening in that amount of time it takes you just to get back with them 
I don't know. It's just a bummer sometimes when you finally get back to someone and something something dumb has already happened and you can't yeah. go back. Well, and I, I think it's that's why I think it's important to have you know something set up that people are able to reference immediately. So right now, if you call Soulshine Wildlife Center, I have it set up to where you automatically go to my voicemail because most of the time I'm working with animals, especially during this time of year, I'm by myself. So I, I don't want to strip gloves, answer my phone. Like there's a whole process that takes place and it's easier for me to have people go right to my voicemail, explain a lot of things over there. And, and all they have to do is listen. That's mm-hmm. it. You just have to listen to the voicemail and I explain, I have different links set up so that, you know, if you can, or if you send the Facebook messenger, same thing, you, you receive a bunch of links and information and all you have to do is read it. And if you still need help, text me. It's very clear with that, you know, and that way I'm really able to, to triage those calls too. You know, is this an emergency situation that I need to get to right away? Or is it something that someone just has to take a little bit of time and effort to read a paragraph? Mm -hmm. And so some of that falls on the public as well. Absolutely. And you quit your job, right, Amber, and and now rehabilitate full time. Do you have any regrets in doing that? You know, I really, I really don't. The only thing that I wish would have gone differently was when I initially quit my career, I went in and had world travel vaccines done. My thought was that I would take six months or so to travel and check out rehab centers globally and network in that way and and learn a lot more um, before I really, you know, dove into being a full-time rehabber. And (laughs) the day the DNR signed my license, I had raccoons dropped off at my door. And unfortunately, those travel plans that I had and all I had, Eric, I had world travel vaccines to the point of where I could go anywhere in the world and I was already vaccinated. (laughs) You were ready to rip. I was ready to go. And unfortunately, this is a high demand field. And unfortunately, you know, animals always need help. People are always calling, needing help. And and my travel plans have been delayed. But my thought was that, okay, now I'll just get soul shine to a level of where I have other people under me who are qualified. And um, maybe I'll be able to do a little bit more of that networking later on. I just might have to be vaccinated again. Yeah. Well, and that's tough too, because even though you can find people that'll help you and are plenty qualified enough to help you, it's still hard leaving your baby, which is your rehab center behind, you know? It's so hard. It's so hard when you run your own facility. It's, it, it changes things completely. I mean, I don't know. I, I personally feel with being a full-time rehabilitator, there's, there's three tiers to it, in my opinion. You have like your tier one, which are your larger centers. They, they bring in thousands of animals. They have a whole team of people that they're working with and they, they run off from grant money and they're well known and they just flourish. And then you have your tier two people, which I, I would consider Soulshine Wildlife Center to fall into that group where it's a private organization and it's mostly one person who's doing about 85% of the work and and it, we're, you know, I'm trying to grow it, but a, there's a lot of time, money, energy, everything falls on one, two, maybe three people. And then you have your tier three people, which are more like your sub permits or um, those who do seasonal rehab. Maybe they still work full time. They kind of, they balance the two things. Maybe they have, they do this in like 
you know, a separate section of their house, something along those lines. And so being full time, it's, it's definitely a change of pace running an organization on my own for the most part. Yeah, I feel that way too, as far as traveling and getting those experiences go. I felt the same way too, that, you know, it'd be really beneficial for me to go, not necessarily, you know, across the world, but I was even thinking, you know, like Florida, there's some larger centers Mm. down there that do fantastic work. I'm like, that'd be really cool to volunteer down there and get some, some neat experiences. And I don't know, just hop around the country. But obviously the same thing happened to me where right away, as soon as I'm put on that rehabber list, I'm getting slammed with calls and it's just, (laughs) it just keeps multiplying and multiplying every single day. So never and 24 seven does not matter what day of the week it is, what time it is. If it's a holiday, I was so frustrated. My first call on the first day of the year was at like 10 AM New Year's day. And the person needed help, which I understand. And I remember I was talking to my parents. I'm like, they didn't even say happy new year to me. They just demanded help. How I was dare like, they? Per- I know. I was like, I'm a person too. <laughs> All offended and sad. Oh, it's true though. We, I mean, we have feelings and lives right. and yeah, our lives are do, like, heavy. do we have lives? <laughs> no, I was just going to say they're heavily <laughs> intertwined with rehab. I get it, but yep. <laughs> you can still say happy new year. <laughs> right. You, I just kept saying, like, she didn't even say happy new year. I was all bummed out about it. <laughs> Well, happy new year from me thank, to you, thank Amber. You. <laughs> I just think that people need to be more aware. <laughs> no, for sure. And it's not like courtesy. Yeah, it's not like we're a completely disposable service. We right. we need to feel appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. So those shout outs help every once in a while too. And, and a lot of times and if you follow Soulshine's Facebook page, I'm I do write writing is kind of my outlet. That's the way that I'm able, I'm not a great speaker, but writing is where I'm able to express myself the best. And I try to, I try to really have followers understand what all goes into this field. It's not like we're sitting around petting baby animals all day and everything is just, you know, rainbows and butterflies and happy and fuzzy little baby animals. It's just, it's so not that. So I try really hard to express everything to people so they understand really what all goes into this. Yeah, you, you do a really good job of, of being pretty transparent and vulnerable on your Facebook page, too, in my that opinion. That was hard. That was yeah. hard for me. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is hard. Um, but it's important that people see, like you said, that it's, it's a tough job. And mm-hmm. there are days where you aren't going to be able to keep up with the demand. And people need to realize that, like you said earlier, we, we are only human and we have feelings mm-hmm. and we need to work through them. But in your opinion, what is the most difficult part of being a full-time wildlife rehabilitator? Uh, the lack of being able to get away, I would say, is probably really hard for me. Like, there's, there's again, there's no days off. If you're sick, you're still working. If, um, if you're, if you have something going, like everything revolves around this. I think the biggest adjustment and the thing that I try to express to people the most about what I do. Because from the outside looking in, what we do is amazing, right? We work with all of these really unique animals and we have hands-on experience with them. And from from the outside looking in, it's it's such an amazing thing. But as a full-time rehabilitator, it's not a job and it's not a hobby. It's it's a lifestyle. 
this is a lifestyle and it does not work for everyone. And that in itself is probably, you know, like trying to find balance, I would say is probably one of the most difficult things for me and having a separate identity outside of this. I think the more you're affiliated with wildlife rehab, people start to lose focus of the rest of your life. And oh my gosh, it's, it's rare now that someone will ask me like how I'm doing. Most of the time it's related to animals. It's like, what kind of animals do you have? What kind of animals do you have right now? That's the question I always get. (laughs) Or like, I'll get phone calls from people who I haven't talked to in 10 years and it's that they need, you know, a a raccoon removed from their attic. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, hi, how's it going? How are you? (laughs) Yeah. So, So I would say that's probably one of the hardest parts is again, just, just realizing that this is, it's a lifestyle that doesn't shut off. It's, it's constant. And especially as you know, when you run your own organization, it's much more severe. Yeah, because you now you're going beyond just your basic animal care and husbandry. You're talking about all the administrative duties and trying to fundraise and market yourself. And it's just a lot and it totally does consume you. And I I do think that it's important for us middle guys like Critter Crossing and Soul Shine to try our best to still have some sort of separation where we're still our own people and we still take, you know, even if it's just an hour of every day to do something just for us, because it's too, it's absolutely grueling to just go a hundred percent every single day, every single minute. You definitely have to have some sort of schedule set for yourself. Now that we're not in baby season, you know, every morning I get up, I have coffee with my, with my animals that live in the house and I sit on my couch for one hour and sometimes I'll meditate. Sometimes I'll, I don't have, I don't have cable or TV or anything, but I do have a television that I'll hook up. I have YouTube on and I'll put a bonfire on or a river or a stream or just something that's very calming. And I just sit here in silence for a little while. <laughs> and that's, that's helped me out a lot. It really has just having that moment with myself and I can just sit there with my dog. And obviously he appreciates that. So. And that's something that I would, I would, highly encourage other rehabilitators to do is to have a timeout period. I, I knew of one woman that it was at like, it was every Saturday. She only did it once a week. It was every Saturday for two hours. She went kayaking no matter what, like that was just her rule. And, you know, maybe you pick a day of the week and you take a little bit longer of a length of time out. But, but the problem is if an emergency comes in, you have to have someone there to answer those calls. And that's not always possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you want to be there in that time frame just in case an emergency does happen. But something that I think we should also remember is that we aren't the only people around. Like if we if we don't take it, there are other centers. I know like different centers specialize in different things, but um, and different like home rehabbers can only do do so much. But, you know, at a certain point, it's yeah, it's you have to almost train yourself to allow those things to slip by and go, go to somebody else in that two hours Mm -hmm. for, for the sake of all the animals that are already in your care, you need to be whole, you need to take care of yourself. And oh yeah. And Amber, you work with primarily small mammals and deer, but what is your favorite species to work with? Oh gosh. You know, I'm really, 
I really don't have a favorite. I've been asked that a lot of, a lot of times I've been asked that. And um, I think Soul Shine is known for the work we do with adult raccoons. Uh, that's something that, that I, I receive a lot of phone calls on. I would say 50% of the animals that come here are adult raccoons or not adults, but raccoons in general. And so I don't really have a favorite that I work with, but there are definitely certain species that when I receive the phone call, I have like maybe a little bit of a dopamine rush. <laughs> so <laughs> porcupines, I, I find them to be absolutely fascinating. Uh, last year, Soulshine rolled out uh, our new fawn program. So fawns are, I just find them to be, I think there's a sense of nostalgic energy with that. I was in 4-H through, you know, grade school through the time I was 18 years old. So I put in well over a decade in 4-H working with goats. So having fawns is there's certain parallels that I feel nostalgic with. And, but I, I really like working with the canines too, foxes and coyotes. They're, they're so unique and I really enjoy watching their behaviors. Um, I try not to work with as many of the smaller little guys. Like there's a lot of squirrel rehab options out there. So right now I'm trying to hone in a little bit on things that maybe don't have as many options, especially in this side of the state. So that's when I took the basic wildlife class, one of the, some of the insight that the teacher had said to us was that she strongly encouraged specializing. And for a variety of reasons, but one of them was financially is, is a big one too. So for example, it's just like if you receive $1,000, $1,000 is going to go a lot further if you're putting it on one species or two or three versus trying to split it up between 17 different species where you're buying different food for them. You're buying different, um, just everything. Everything is going to be different for them. So $1,000 is not going to go near as far with a wide variety. So that's something moving forward I've, I've kind of kept in the back of my head. And uh, last year, I hardly took in any squirrels knowing that there were so many options for them. It's not that I don't like working with them. It's just I realized that my time is probably best with, with other species that maybe don't have as many options. I admire you for doing that. Honestly, I, I noticed that you didn't post like a lot of squirrel cases or talk about a lot of squirrel cases. And I didn't know... Um, that that was the reason, but that makes a lot of sense because you are working in like more specialized areas and the demand is really high, especially in your area. Um, like you said, adult raccoons and fawns, <laughs> since there's all these regulations about them going from county to county with CWD concerns and stuff like that. Um, so and we don't that- have anyone near here that, that works with the canines either. So, you know, when I receive a fox or a coyote call, there's no one really located around me that has large enough enclosures they, they'd have to be shipped out halfway across the state so that was another reason why I, I ventured into trying to work more with foxes and coyotes and learning more about them too and and again it's not that I don't like the smaller animals I I do but there are they have a lot more options <laughs> than some of the other ones do so especially when you're dealing with a nonprofit. We're running solely on donations. It just makes sense to try to specialize a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Or at least um, until you have a larger center with a full exactly. staff. Yeah. Now, this year, my thought was to have some sub-permits that would work with squirrels and bunnies, too. I And again, it's not that it's not that I don't like them. It's just my time, I feel, is better spent doing other things right now. And so eventually, I'd like to be a full rehab center, you know, 
general and having having a little bit of everything. But for right now, I, I do tend to narrow it down a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit about your current setup? Yeah. So I right now I operate completely on my own property, which I cannot wait until that is no longer the case. <laughs> uh, your own, have, I'm sorry, by your own property, you mean like where you live currently? Yes. Okay. Yep. So I do everything off from the property in which I live on. I do nothing in my house. My house is completely separate and my rehab area is in a whole different area of, of, of my property, but it's still ultimately in my backyard. Um, so I have a 12 or 14 by 24 tiny house that I do mo- most of everything out of a triage in there. It's where my like skilled nursing cases are the ones who are need restricted care, restricted movement. I mean, um, you know, they're maybe set up on heating pads or they're in incubators. They receive meds regularly, so on and so forth. So everything's pretty much set up in there with, I have full med supplies and uh, like, it's all my, my own little triage area. It's kind of cute actually. <laughs> And I have um, cage banks in there too. And um, that also is the nursery area when, when the babies start rolling in because we don't have nearly as many injured adults then. And then uh, I have a pole barn and a garage and then a lot of outdoor enclosures too. But that is, the goal is to not be here forever. <laughs> yeah. And be able to separate, separate yourself from your work and yes. your home life. Yep. I'm a private person. I don't, I don't like people showing up here. In fact, when that's something you have to think about when you go into this field, when you receive a call for an animal, how are you going to get it? That's something that you really have to think about. Are you going to have people come to your house to drop it off? Are you going to go to their house to get it? Are you going to meet them somewhere neutral? My option, the way I move forward. And again, this actually came from the instructor of my basic wildlife rehab class I meet people at neutral locations, places that are well lit, places that have cameras. Um, So for example, like a gas station is a smart idea. They have, there's cameras there, there are lights on there, there's people there. It's smart. As a single female, you have, I mean, I mean really anyone, but it's not like I'm that big of a person. It wouldn't be that hard to steal your way. Right. You don't know who you're dealing with. People from all over the state are calling you. It's not like you get a background check on these people. I mean, you would hope that they're decent human beings, but you really don't know. So I I prefer to keep things a little bit more private. I don't have people come here. Unfortunately, last year, I did have a few people randomly show up at my house. That did not go over well. <laughs> I was, was not happy about that. And I, I let them know that. If I, I did, my, my address is not easy to find for a reason. And yep. if you, if I, if I've told you that I cannot take these animals, you can't just show up at my house expecting me to do it. That that's a major violation. Yeah. You're crossing a line. Not only did I already say, no, you took the time to find my address and just show up here because you think yep. I can't refuse them if they're right. in, in front of my face. Like that's just yep. rude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's just so invasive. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, this is, this is my private time. I, mean, I should be able to sit in my backyard and not have to worry about some weirdo showing up behind me and being like, you have to take these animals because I found them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? I have limits set on what I'm taking. Mm-hmm. If I say I can't take it, there's a reason I can't take it. I have enough to, to take care of as is. Yeah. Yeah, so. setting setting caps and having boundaries is another thing that I would strongly encourage anyone who's going into this field to to have before the season starts. 
because it's so easy to be like, okay, one more, one more. Okay, maybe one more. And then before you know it, you have too many animals and they're not receiving quality care. And we see this a lot in rehab centers. And it's it's really unfortunate that um, th- that those things happen. And I understand how it happens. You have people standing in front of you crying, begging you to take this animal, but you have to look at your own resources. You're not doing these animals any favors if you're hoarding them and you're shoving them all in an enclosure and you're just like, okay, we, we, we fixed it. No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. You didn't. One, one more quickly turns into 20 more and then yeah. you're, you're not giving quality care anymore. Exactly. It's never fun saying no to people, but like you said, there are other options. And even mm-hmm. at a certain point, not to be super, I, this is probably going to sound like I don't have a heart, but even if every other center in person is full at a certain point, you have to say, okay, well, there's humane euthanasia. If nobody can right. take this animal, there's always humane euthanasia, which, which most veterinary clinics will do. And at the end of the day, if before wildlife rehabilitators were a thing, that's what was going to happen to the animal anyway. It was going to pass away. It was going exactly. to die in nature. So if you can't stand the thought of that and you already have this animal in your possession then and you can't find placement, euthanasia is a last line resort if people yep. keep saying no to you. Yeah, I and, and I absolutely understand that's how a lot of rehabilitators, that's the route that they'll go. I this but this is a big reason for why I take that extra time to explain reuniting strategies. I after I hit after I hit 500 animals last year, I stopped counting and it was 500 animals that were reunited with their with their parents. That's incredible, but it takes a lot of time takes a lot because again people want instant gratification taking time to read the article that I'm asking them to read for some reason isn't possible until I say the same words to them and then oftentimes we are able to reunite these animals and if if more people would take the time to do that I really think that we would have less of these overflow situations occurring Absolutely. I think I grill people with questions about how they found animals. If they're, if they're orphans, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, how do you know? Tell me every little yep. detail because I want to make sure that you didn't just kidnap these animals and are sticking me yep. with them when there's a truly orphan animal that's going to need my help in the next hour. Exactly. So. Exactly. Or when they're older animals, a lot of times these animals, yes, they would normally still be with their parent, but are we really doing them any favors by kidnapping them and pulling them into rehab? Like we're not. Mm -hmm. If if someone's able to supplement maybe, you know, offhand feeding or something like that. Like I had some people, they had, I mean, they were raccoons that were probably around 12 or so weeks old. So this has happened a few times now where someone will call me. These animals are curious. They're out and about. Their mom is like sick of them by now. (laughs) So they're out doing their own thing. And people have a hard time not inserting themselves in those situations. I think we all experienced an influx of calls in 2020 because people were sitting at home looking out their windows and seeing more animals. Mm -hmm. And and it, it, it wasn't so much that we had more animals. It's just that people were more aware of what was going on around them. So, and we, it's up to us as rehabilitators to take that time to really explain situations so that maybe it took a lot of time for this one instance, but that person hopefully is going to pass that information on to other people. If, if you've ever had any sort of experience with a wild animal, whether you're licensed or not, you somehow become the go-to person for everyone else. So, and, and maybe you've experienced this too. I've had a few people like 
almost like repeat customers where they call me up and they're like, Hey, so-and-so brought me this animal. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, do you just sit in the woods and wait? Like, yeah. Like, like, what are you doing? How are you getting all these animals? But I think what tends to happen is that once you've had some sort of experience with wildlife, you become that go-to person. And, and then it's up to the public too, to pass on the information that we give them. If, if we're thorough with, with our explanations, it should, we should be able to kind of have this, this ripple effect that goes into the community. And therefore we're actually having more of a positive impact on, on these animals and we're not having to pull them into rehab. Yeah. Rehab nature should be last, last resort. <laughs> like that, it should be the last thing. I agree. And there's so many, I mean, every single species that we get does better when raised in the wild. Like their survival rate is much, much higher when they're raised in the wild, learning life skills from their own species and not from mm-hmm. us. So yeah. even though we can help bridge that gap a little bit, we're not doing as good of a job as their real parents would be doing. No. And we, we tend to humanize everything. <laughs> absolutely. And and you can't you can't communicate with them. You can you can get you can challenge them, you know, with foraging and hunting and stuff like that while they're in pre-release, but you can't communicate with them or teach them social skills and right. That definitely helps having them having them in groups and never raising animals as a single singleton oh. because then they're One for of sure my biggest, biggest pet peeves right there. <laughs> the, yeah, the animal has no idea who it is or what it's supposed to be doing if it's by itself. Yeah. The amount of surrendered, I I hate saying the word pet when it comes to wildlife, but the amount of surrendered pets and confiscated animals that I have received since becoming licensed is incredible. And it's, it's just, it's devastating that these animals, like, unfortunately, the person, if they've surrendered it, it's usually around two years old and it's because it's acting naughty. And again, they probably saw something online, a cute video of this, of this raccoon being absolutely adorable. And then they try to recreate these moments and it didn't happen. <laughs> so It's not all cracked up to be. No, it's not. It's not. And so then they're trying to find placement, but they don't want to get in trouble. I mean, over the summer, I had someone reach out to me with a raccoon that he had kept as a pet. And this raccoon, Erica, was dropped off. He didn't, he didn't want to give me any of his contact information. Did, was terrified I was going to report him, which here's the thing. I have better things to do. <laughs> like, I'm not here to get you in trouble. Now, maybe strike one. I'm like, I'm going to remember who you are, but I'm not here to try to get anyone in trouble. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get these animals the care that they deserve. That's what I'm trying to do. And this guy was so paranoid about giving me his contact information that he dropped the raccoon off at someone else's house and said, call Soulshine Wildlife Center. And that was it at a complete stranger's house they didn't know this person they that was it that was how that happened and this raccoon was brought to me in a dog cage that had two padlocks on it and his toys were a flashlight and a wrench oh and then he busted out of the cage so i didn't give him his wrench because i was like oh my gosh you might know how to use this thing like (laughs) like like this guy's a genius (laughs) and he he grew up he ate pork chops and rice krispie treats that was his that was his diet and it's, it's so, it's heartbreaking. And those animals, the people who surrender them or the, the DNR, you know, confiscates them from, they go through a depression. Every time I've had an animal come in that's been confiscated, every time it's been almost a week that they won't eat. 
they just sit there. And at that, in that instance, I'm getting all emotional about it now because it's just, it's, I, it infuriates me. It yeah. absolutely infuriates me. Yeah. That is, that is a struggle. It's, it's, that in itself is a challenge, just trying to get these animals to learn what they are. And it's not always possible, unfortunately. I mean, usually, usually after a lot of time, you can maybe reverse some of that, but there's always going to be this curiosity that, that sometimes makes them non-releasable. Yeah. And if they're, if they're that confident around people, even if they learn basic life skills, if they wander up to somebody, a stranger, a human stranger, that person's going to assume, okay, this animal's sick. Something's wrong with this animal. Yeah. Like it should not be walking up to me. And a lot of times, you know, these humanized animals, especially in cases where like people decide I'm going to raise this orphan and let it go, even though I don't know what I'm doing. A lot of times those animals just get, um, injured by dogs, people, or put to sleep yeah. because it's assumed there's something wrong with it because they just wander right into these dangerous situations with people and domestic animals. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. And, and the public's going to be completely unaware of these things unless we communicate them out loud. That's why I, I use social. I, I never had social media until I started SoulShine. I was completely off the grid. <laughs> People didn't even know if I was around anymore, and it was fabulous. <laughs> and, then, and then I started Soulshine Wildlife Center, and I was like, okay, this is how, if I'm going to do this, this is the way that I have to go to keep up with today's times. And that in itself is a job. Oh, my goodness. That is that is a beast on its own. I need. I think I need, like, Facebook for dummies, though, because I still, I'm trying to, like, figure out how to do everything. And, like, this well- this itself is just a struggle. <laughs> I struggle too. I mean, they're always changing that stuff and we're we're getting old now, so keeping up right. with the times it's difficult. Right. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, the platforms that are out there now, I'm like, I can't even fake this. Like I don't I don't want to partake in this. <laughs> and there's so much pressure too because everybody has, you know, a gazillion different social media platforms for the same business. Like follow me here, here, here. Like, I don't know if I, I can hardly keep up with just two social media pages. Like, I don't need any well, more. At, at some point, you have to really think, is this even helping me? You know, is, it, is anything positive coming from this? So, I, you know, I know there's all of these different platforms that are out there now. And, but if you're not able to somehow, you know, advertise that you run solely on donations or there's not a way for people to donate right away or you're not able to really give any context to anything. It's just a cute video. In my opinion, you're not really, there's nothing positive happening there. Like, I don't, <laughs> That's a good I point. Say, I shouldn't say there's nothing positive happening. It's just, I guess, what is, what is the, what is the purpose for it? Is no, that's it a good point. Media be, because everyone else has it. Like, yeah. And if you, if you post a video too, without context, that can lead to a lot of inappropriate behaviors on the viewers parts you know they might see a a video and think it's cute or cool and then think oh I want to do that and they don't even know what what the context is right okay and even though we were just talking all that mad crap about social media (laughs) you need to tell our listeners your um all your social media pages so that they can follow you yes absolutely um, so Soulshine Wildlife Center is on Facebook. You can type in Soulshine Wildlife Center. It's Soulshine is one word, S-O-U-L-S-H-I-N-E. 
And then um, on pretty much every other platform, it's at Soulshine Wildlife. We're just dropping the center off, off the rest of it. So that'd be Instagram and, oh my gosh, I think I have, I think Soulshine has a TikTok now. That's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll still follow you on there. <laughs> yeah. There's about um, three videos maybe, and it's just me sitting alone at night, putting some background tunes on some cute animal or something. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to enlist the help of a teenager. Like, I really do. I think I do, too. I think I do, too. Will you do all this for me, please? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with us today because I know how busy our lives are. Um, And thank you for being my friend and doing such a a wonderful job for all of the local wildlife. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, We'll have another episode in a couple weeks with a different guest, but until then, stay wild.